Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash codemonkey. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Hi, and welcome to our weekly podcast, Code Monkey Talks, about things that inter- interest technologists. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brian Jackson, and joining me is Brian Demers. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Awesome. Uh, and joining us this week is our guest. It's Brendan Burns, of, uh, who's currently at Microsoft, um, of Kubernetes fame. Welcome. Hi. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Hey. Uh, so for our listeners, uh, the show is broken up into three segments. Uh, we'll start with some current events in the news about DevOps stuff. Um, and uh, then we'll go into a deeper interview with uh, Brendan. And then after that, we will leave you with something to do. So let's begin. Our first segment, it's about current events. And we call it In the News. We each pick one news story we read about recently that we'd like to discuss. Uh, Brian, uh, why don't you go first? What did you want to talk about? All right. So um, a few days ago, I guess the patent is now officially up for MP3. Not that MP3, the format, is um, super critical anymore, but it's it's still pretty interesting news. Sure. Um, it's one of those things that I remember sitting you know, as a youth on a dial-up modem, trying to download mp3s obviously completely legal <laughs> but it was one of those things that i spent a lot of time um it didn't necessarily get me into computers but it definitely kept me attached to them um so yeah so what do you guys think yeah, i remember it's one of my like uh linux distribution memories right where it was like the first piece of software that the linux distributions wouldn't distribute oh right yes oh, yes. right like it was the, the the add-on where you'd have to be like oh i'm gonna go to this slightly sketchy site and download this thing or compile it or whatever because they they wouldn't touch it yep yep and then fonts were the next thing <laughs> yeah. oh right it's yeah like I... I associate it heavily with burning cds also Absolutely. Yeah. Like, they, they, those occupy the same time in my life, I guess. It's like when I first bought a CD burner and when I was doing a lot of MP3s. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, exactly. And um, I have fond memories of, of Napster, um, you know, that there was such a, a definitive time in college when, uh, you know, a lot of our my friends were, we were using Napster and creating these large libraries of uh, mp3s um uh which i have since deleted after all of these years of course right. because i remember my first i bought one of the like rio 500s i think it was oh right yeah it was yeah. like one of the very first mp3 players that you could buy and i think it had i don't even know i want to say like 100 megabytes of storage or something like that like you could like put like literally like two albums onto it it's <laughs> so yeah. comical now you know <laughs> yeah. i think about this with my kids actually because i'm realizing like they're growing up in a world where they do not associate music with physical media. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's an incomprehensible yeah. concept to them at some level. That, that like, in, in movies. Um, yeah, movie, yeah, exactly. Same thing with movies. It's like, what, it's not just on the iPad? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh, I just go to Netflix and pick something. Yeah. Now, so do you, do you think that this is going to end up affecting anything? Do you think there's going to be open source projects that restructure in any way or, you know, I, I'm, I'm not really feeling so. the pain of it, you know. Yeah, anymore, right? I mean, there's a bunch of other open formats. Um, 
so I don't know. I mean, I, I think it'll be, I think there'll be a bigger like niche space, like when the, the sort of the maker community, right. With like the, the hardware devices, like instead of just sure. playing wave files, you could play MP3s. And so I think it's a little bit there, but I don't know. Mm, that's a good point. Cause I could see that. And with microcontrollers, um, you know, where they, they want to keep that, you know, um, uh, legally, you know, in a, in a white area so that they don't have to deal with right, patents. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, good topic. Good topic. Uh, so, Brendan, did you uh, uh, have something that you wanted to discuss? Sure. Well, maybe it's top of mind because I've, you know, I'm, I'm a procrastinator and it's it's coming up. But uh, I've been focusing a lot on, on the upcoming Build Conference that uh, Microsoft is putting together in Seattle. Uh, Seattle for the first time this year, actually. Uh, it had been in San Francisco. Um, Seattle is really becoming Cloud City, um, and uh, it's pretty cool. And I'm also uh, really excited to be I'm talking about Azure Container Service nice um, as well as um, I actually also work on Azure Resource Manager I'm not doing the talk but my, one of the product managers is doing a talk with some new Azure Resource Manager features so excited to roll out some some stuff for people uh, who are using the Microsoft Cloud very cool yeah this is, this is really cool um, I'm seeing it uh, so this is Microsoft build 2017 um, That's it. and uh, uh, it looks like it's sold out, uh, which is, is always a great sign. It's a good thing. Uh, yeah, and um, uh, it's interesting to see that, um, you know, I, I just like it when there's a presence, uh, you know, for uh, big companies, uh, you know, in this space. And, and obviously Microsoft uh, is uh, a really important company in this space uh, uh, for obvious reasons. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited uh, it looks yeah. like it's going to be a great conference. I think it's going to be pretty, pretty cool. I think one of the nice things we're doing with it is we really are, you know, I think there's been some uh, people who might be traditional Microsoft developers, but uh, I think we're really trying this year to broaden out the conference to maybe uh, hit people who are uh, not maybe the traditional Microsoft developer, people who are doing a little more work with Linux, people who are doing work with open source. Uh, it's been a trend sort of throughout Microsoft for a while now, um, but I think that's still something that... that uh, some people haven't necessarily caught up with is that there's a real transition happening with Azure. Nice. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know just, I think Brian's about to say the same thing, like just from the kind of on the ground uh, experience with it is that, yeah, Azure is really becoming um, a mindshare contender of like people are thinking about it in the same moments that they're thinking about AWS and uh, Google cloud platform that, um, you know, that Azure is really a, a place that people turn to. Um, uh, especially uh, companies who are Windows, you know, or Windows infrastructure. I mean, it's it's uh, it's almost like a first choice for I think a lot of yeah. uh, companies. Um, I think that's true. But although I mean, I think you know, not a lot of people know, you know, like thirty five thirty five percent of uh, Azure is Linux. So like, mm. I think a lot of people are uh, and and growing too, right? Um, and so I think you know a lot of people are choosing it for those workloads as well, or people who have hybrid workloads. Yeah. No, that's. That makes a lot of sense, and and um, uh, uh, I I knew of it, and it's uh, I didn't realize the it was that high of a percentage, the thirty yeah, no, percent. It's, it's 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 pretty good. Uh, I've got the Microsoft loves Linux sticker on my laptop, so <laughs> very nice, <laughs> nice, nice, very cool. So yeah, so um, uh, if uh, people aren't registered already, unfortunately, it looks like there's no spots, but yeah. um, it seems like it's uh, definitely a, a great conference to keep and an eye out. You know, maybe for 2017, or, or excuse de- me, for 2018. Definitely, and uh, there'll be I think live streams of all of, or not live streams, but uh, recorded streams of all the talks, so you can check that out online later on too. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure that we'll revisit that um, in a later um, 
uh, podcast episode and, and make sure that we'll include show notes um, when that stuff's available. So very cool. Great. Um, so what I wanted to talk about was uh, this article that I, I saw on O'Reilly. Actually, I saw it on uh, Hacker News. Uh, it's called The Alarming State of Secure Coding Neglect. Um, and I think it's a really great breakdown of uh, there's, I think, just traditionally to, you know, a typical developer might not have security uh, as the first thing that they're thinking about. Um, and uh I, I, I'm guilty of it. Uh, you know, I go through kind of my cycle of, of being really diligent and then letting it wane. And uh, this really breaks down kind of the how important it is that we are all thinking about security um, and coding securely. Um, and then kind of some of the ways to remediate it. You know, so the idea that, uh, you know, setting up static code analysis tooling um, as well as uh doing code reviews and how that is a part of um, improving the security and you know, the, the secure coding practices of an organization or, or of a team. Um, and then like setting standards. Um, I think it's a really interesting article uh, that um, uh, that was posted on O'Reilly's site. Uh, it was also on, um, on Hacker News. There was also a very nice, like a really good um, discussion, a lively discussion as well. We, we obviously have uh, links in the, snow, the show notes, but um, what, are you, what are your guys' thoughts uh, on secure coding neglect in general, um, you know, and, uh, and maybe kind of some of the, 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 the ways to be better about it? Yeah, yeah I so I just had to sit through a, so um, I just started a new gig a few months ago and as part of the, the new thing, I, uh, we we have quarterly security training for all the new employees, which oh, which for the guys that I was in with, it, we, we were just kind of laughing, like, you know, behind the scenes um, because a lot of us uh, had already seen all this stuff. Like, it's it's pretty sure. standard, you know, uh, watch out for injection attacks, those type of things. The, the examples were great, though. I mean, um, some of the guys were not Java developers. All of the examples were... were uh, uh, Java based or like XML issues with Java, you know, parsing XML with Java. So, so um, a lot of guys were tuning out, and this was all online to make it even more interesting. Um, yeah, right. But um, but the examples were great, and, and and I think just that alone, just showing people, keep reinforcing these are the types of things, you know, uh, just the explaining um, like a SQL injection attack to somebody, and then. Right just that alone, how many different vectors that is, right? Like there's similar attacks for file systems, for um, LDAP, for all of these other things, right? For are, are the same type of issue, you know? Um, so I, I think it, it's probably not talked about enough, uh, at least from my perspective, but right. I don't know. What do you guys think? And I think there's a couple things that, that are interesting there. I think one of them is, uh, as the world has sort of become API driven, the surface area has just gotten bigger, hmm. right? Like all of a sudden it's not just, you know, is your website secure through the three ways, you know, your website will be used, but like, is the combination of these APIs secure or how are you delegating identity through those systems? I think that's, that's definitely added some complexity. I think it, the training is essential, right? I think absolutely everybody has to be thinking about this. Um, and then there's also all these places where, you don't necessarily think like one of my favorite places that to, to think about this is the Java YAML parser. 
right? So the default Java YAML parser can instantiate Java objects via tags, right? arbitrary Java objects. Yep. You don't think of a YAML file as being a vector for somebody to inject code into your program, and yet no. there it is. Right? Yeah. Um, so I think that there's also this kind of like, you have to be thinking about it in all pieces, not just you know the service that you're running, but the config files that you're using and everything else like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, and, and one of the things that this uh, article uh, brought up because uh, it was discussing the survey was like, for instance, the Internet of Things uh, vector that the uh, the series of attacks on routers and consumer devices that happened a few months ago, um, and how like it's it's not computers, you know, like you were saying, it's it's not just traditional servers and and uh, client desktops that we're talking about now. Now we're talking about um, you know uh, various uh, consumer devices uh, on the uh, on the internet whether it's uh, you know a raspberry pi or a uh, a home router uh, these are these are all things that that we have to be thinking about yeah that yep. stuff is just straight up scary i think like the number of default password enabled routers that are out there i want i wish that there was some way to like not be rude and go up to the coffee shop and be like you know yeah <laughs> and just leave some anonymous note and be like here are some instructions about what you might want to do yeah, yeah, I was uh, I was on a uh, BCC kick for a while. Um, it was like my wife's family and all these, you know, the non-technical like family-ish type lists you're, you know, mailing lists you're on, and you'd get an email, um, you know, with 400 emails associated with, like, you know, you should probably use BCC and here's why. And I'm like, it's just you're just talking to a wall, right? So these types of things that nobody wants to hear, um, but they're not all that difficult to fix either. It's just, it's definitely a knowledge. Uh, learning issue mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of unrelated but i was fascinated the other day i spent a, a while reading through krebs on securities blog on because i had my uh atm card skimmed a couple times oh really oh, yeah um and i went and read about the skimming devices and it's just fascinating i highly recommend it uh if you want to spend you know if you want to waste a couple hours yeah like the, the sort of uh arms control race between these people who are putting fake, you can buy them on eBay or whatever, fake surfaces on ATMs that yeah. your card. And then like the ATM people added blinking LEDs because it's hard to fake a blinking LED. And then the people added like blinking LEDs to the, it's like, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's just yeah, a crazy I, arms race. I yeah. looked this up a couple, uh, a while ago and it is crazy. I mean, it's just, and you don't even notice. So I try to uh, like look at these and like pull 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 the card reader off these machines now like but jiggle i mean them or whatever yeah. Yeah, yeah i mean if they're like double-sided tape like they're not going to come off like they're going to be solid on there like i still wouldn't know um yeah it's it's nuts yeah that's what i'm afraid of it's like i'm, I'm gonna do my due diligence of jiggling it and it's like i'm still gonna be fooled by it yep. that's like the um just uh just uh yesterday the the um google docs uh phishing attack oh right uh, same yep. kind of thing like i mean it's uh sometimes it's just good enough that even even the people who are wise to this uh these phishing attacks and these scam you know skimming attacks you you just don't know any better right. yep i think the other i had a professor a while ago and when i was doing my phd um who looked into uh like embed like physically embedded devices like pacemakers and stuff like that and as these protocols, as these mobile protocols have gotten better, people have just adopted them because it's easy. It's like, well, sure, let's use Bluetooth serial to configure our pacemaker, right? But what, oh, yeah. what, what happens is it's like all of a sudden it's very easy to go and just like be like, oh, I wonder what I can connect to. Yeah, that's terrifying. Wow. Right? 
that you could just like use uh you know a bluetooth uh, app on your phone and connect <laughs> to somebody's pacemaker oh that's just disturbing just send some uh or the at commands to it <laughs> yeah right exactly right the serial commands um I've been I've dabbled with that a little bit over like Bluetooth LE for some of the like little toy things that I've done with microcontrollers, uh, with like Arduino stuff. So, oh my gosh, the yeah, idea of that that's, is that's terrifying. That, that's all it takes now, right? Like a uh, what uh, a Raspberry Pi with zero comes with uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth for ten bucks, right? Like yeah. anybody can do that now. It's not I mean even before that, it's it's it's. It's a no-brainer, but but even now, like you can have these things in in your pocket and nobody can see, and it's just crazy. It brings, brings the whole war driving thing to a whole new level. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, right? The right. The, the freaking and and stuff of the eighties. Yeah, yeah. We actually had a robot. I did my PhD in robotics, and uh, we had some. It was running. This robot was running like Rail Four, because like the robot people were like, "Well, we made it work once. We're never going to make that thing work again." <laughs> wow. And like somebody broke into it and was using it to serve wares. Like, I don't think they knew they were on a robot. They were wow. just, like, serving wares off of our robot. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they don't know any better because it's just, right. wow. We were, yeah, we're glad they didn't try and drive it around. But, you yeah. Know, but, like... <laughs> wow. Yeah. So this is a really interesting topic. It makes me nervous uh, every time I start thinking too much about it. Um, but uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to this uh, this article about the survey uh, on O'Reilly. Um so uh, before we go into the next section, though, uh, this week, uh, for the very first time, we have a sponsor. Uh, we're very excited to have Audible uh, sponsoring the uh, podcast. Um, the great thing about Audible is they provide, uh, they will give you a, uh, a free um, book uh, for signing up. And uh, I wanted to recommend a, a book that... Uh, an audiobook that I had listened to. Um, I had actually mentioned it on one of our first shows, uh, which is The Way of Kings, the uh, Stormlight Archive. So if you go to Audible, you go to audibletrial.com slash codemonkey, and uh, that uses our promo code uh, and uh, uh, supports the show. And so we're so excited to have Audible. So thanks to Audible. So the next section... Uh, before we dive into our interview, uh, I like to ask all of our guests, uh, since there's a, it's a broad topic and different people have different definitions, but uh, Brendan, how do you define DevOps? Oh, wow. Well, I see Kelsey Hightower, what did you say? It was uh, therapy, therapy. Um, <laughs> how do I define DevOps? I don't know. It's one of those horrible words. I mean, I think everybody everybody brings to it their their version of it's one of these words where, where everyone says like, oh, that's the ideal. Like they bring to it their image of what I, uh, the ideal thing would be. Right. Um, but if I like tried to generalize it or another way of saying this, so I had a, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on a bit of a tangent, but I'll come back. I promise. Um, I had a guy who I knew and who did artificial intelligence and he had this great demo where he started with a picture that was white and he slowly slid it through from, you know, zero from 255 all the way to zero. And he said, raise your hand when it's gray. Right. And so the room sort of like everybody's raising their hand in the middle, but around the edges, people have different opinions. Hmm. And I think DevOps is kind of the same thing, right? Like everybody, like if you pulled 10 people, they'd probably say two things and then they'd have a bunch of other stuff. Um, I think some of it is like that you have engineers who are running your systems. So people who are programmers, they're not just ops. They're not sort of there to just kind of like run a bunch of rule sets. They're actually there to understand the program, possibly fix the program, think like engineers about about running their programs right i think that's a big part of it i think a close partnership between the people who are operating and the people who are developing the software possibly even the same people um 
I think it's been taken on to me in a lot of sort of what I would call modern operation practices. And I don't know, like, is that DevOps? I don't know. It certainly supports DevOps. Um, I don't know, like, is Kubernetes and container management DevOps? I I don't really know. It's certainly part of the movement of transforming how we operate software and making our software more reliable and more operable. Um, It's hard to know if that that makes it DevOps or if it's just sort of a a, a part of it. I do like to give this slide um, in a bunch of my talks. I've sort of said... I do think a lot of what we're seeing is decoupling of operations. So, you know, it used to be that kind of you owned everything from the metal all the way up. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, you know, with Azure, IaaS, virtual machines, like you've decoupled hardware operations and you've offshored hardware operations. Um, and then if you step up to a managed service, a managed Kubernetes, like Azure Container Service, um, you've actually you've sort of offshored and decoupled even from container and cluster operations and and you're just doing application operations. And I think in an ideal world, that's actually what DevOps was trying to say. DevOps was sort of saying like, you know, like let's split these things up. Let's have the kernel experts worry about the kernel. Let's have the hardware experts worry about the hardware. Mm-hmm. Let's not, have them not worry about what the other person is doing. Let, let allow application operators to roll out an application any time of day, anytime they want and have the kernel operators be able to do the same thing with the kernel without interfering with each other. Like you don't have this like, oh, you know what? The apps guys say we need to move up to a new version of some Linux distro, so we have to roll out a new kernel. So you don't have any of those horrible connections um, that make it make systems brittle and hard to manage. So I think maybe in an ideal world, that's what it's about, like decoupling all the ops so that everybody gets to specialize and focus on the thing that is the thing that they know. And in particular that for application operations developers focus on those applications yeah yeah i think i think that's spot on though i mean <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still still laughing about the 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 grayscale issue because you know as soon as it's technically gray right right away um uh and and everybody has a different answer <laughs> but but more yeah, so the, the specialization right? yeah <laughs> the, the the specialization is 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 a uh, key, right? You don't you don't want people uh, dealing with with security issues that don't know anything about it, right? And you don't want people dealing with uh, patching your OS that have no idea. So yeah, yeah, that was a really I really enjoyed that uh, <laughs> your your take on it. Uh, obviously, you've you've got a lot of experience behind it. Um, and so, uh, speaking of your experience, I would love to hear kind of your your journey right uh you know you you were at google uh worked on uh several things that led into kubernetes and your time there and now you're at uh, microsoft um i'd love to kind of hear your take on your own journey um because i think it's a really interesting one (laughs) yeah i mean even before then like i uh and i did a phd in robotics as a professor for a couple years like i've done a lot of different things and i always wonder like you always wonder like it's impossible to know. It's like, did I just go in a lot of different directions and should I have maybe pursued one thing or, or did like all of the different directions make me capable of doing the things that I do now? Like you never know, right? You always sort of second guess. Um, well, I think the thing that's been exciting is excited. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just, I was going to say like, that's, that's awesome to hear. Like, I, I think we all kind of go through that kind of imposter syndrome thing. So I think somebody with the, you know, kind of the success that you've had uh, also goes through that. Uh, that's, Oh my God, I wake up every day, I wake up every single day with imposter syndrome. I think everybody, (laughs) I don't know, like, I feel kind of like if you don't, like you, 
you might have a psychological problem, right? Like, yeah, right. Like, like if you if you're not if you don't see all the the warts and all of the things that you should be questioning, like you might you might just be a megalomaniac. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. I so think that, I, I think that so. But what's been interesting, I think lately, I mean, maybe the the thread throughout the the, the bug that I really caught was it's really exciting to have people use and and get empowered by software that you build. And even when I was a professor, it was really exciting to see people learn something and gain a new skill and gain the ability to do something that they couldn't do before. Um, and more recently, that's translated into public cloud. And and I think not just public cloud, actually, because I think the thing that I'm really excited about and one of the things that I'm that's been great about coming to Microsoft is is this notion of developer productivity and empowering developers and empowering people to build systems that they might not have otherwise thought they were capable of building. Like that's that's really I think these days what excites me because um, I think we're not done at all. Like I feel like we've done all this work uh, and we're not even scratching the surface. We've done like we've built the bare foundation of what we needed to build in order to sort of move things forward. It's like we've built the you know the bytecode interpreter and none of the standard libraries. Uh, <laughs> wow. so yeah, like, great. And that, that's kind of where I'm at, right? It's like it's time. And I feel like the bytecode interpreter is getting pretty good. Kubernetes is kind of. Uh, stabilizing and and i mean I, I joke but like we're starting to add things like uh you know policy and rbac and all these kind of like enterprise kind of grade features and you're like okay once you start once it's normal to be adding enterprise features then i think i think we're kind of done here huh. it's time to think about what's next right it's time to think about and i think what's next really is that it's still too hard to build these systems and this is kind of what i'm going to talk about a build a little bit is like you know it's it's great that we have all this infrastructure, but it's still too hard. Uh, and we need to figure out how do we, like, I think about some of the, smart, I, I tell the story a lot, so I apologize if people heard it before, but one of the smartest guys I knew, uh, programmers, best programmers I knew was a embedded systems guy. And like he built uh, pro, like web browsers for, you know, feature phones back when like, you know, you had 64K of RAM or whatever to mess around with. Um, and we've got, we've moved to a world where, you know, middle schoolers are writing mobile applications. Um, and yeah. that kind of empowerment and that democratization of mobile applications is great, but that hasn't happened in the cloud. We haven't reached a place where, you know, like uh, middle school students are writing distributed systems uh, in the cloud. And I think we need to do that. Right? I mean, it's easy to kick up a website, but if you're talking about like building a real, like scalable distributed system, that's still too much black magic. We need to get to a world where, where, you know, a, uh, uh, a middle school kid in a science class or a tech class can can write one of those things, um, and that's sort of the thing that's driving me lately. Yeah, I love that vision. I mean, it, it sounds so unreasonable, or, or it sounds very reasonable when you say it like that, because um, you know I, I completely see those analogies of kind of where we've been and and the um, just the the empowerment of these other platforms. That right. it totally makes sense that on the kind of the server. Uh, side of things that there needs to be that empowerment as well and i think it comes from patterns mostly this is what i've been thinking about lately is i think that the way these things have happened before is where people have developed patterns and frameworks where you know uh, there are in some ways fewer choices but in some ways more focus it's like nobody writes sorting algorithms anymore like for a while people really like thought about sorting algorithms and and now you learn them in school and then everybody goes and uses the same library that everybody's implement that one person has implemented right right and and i think the same things are going to happen with distributed systems in cloud and that's i think that's a good thing like the systems that we build now are too bespoke they're too like handcrafted artisanal distributed systems right and we need to move to like 
the mass market factory built distributed systems because then that frees us to build the things that come next you know very cool yeah so what, yeah. what what is what is the next the next thing what what is what is my 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 child going to build in middle school <laughs> for a distributed system <laughs> well i mean i think part of it is like i mean one of the things that i i think and i've been working on lately is um we sort of had like object oriented programming in the mid 80s um, like all the infrastructure was there. C++ came out and Java eventually comes out and, and this sort of thing. But it took a while for people to start writing patterns books. So it was like you had all the tools, but it took a while for people to figure out like what's the right way to actually use these tools. Um, and I think that the same thing is happening with cloud is that we kind of have all the tools, but we haven't had the, we haven't taken that moment where we step back and we say, you know what, like how do we how do we talk about putting these things together? If I need to build a sharded system, like what are the pieces that I can build? What are the libraries that I can use? Or even that like this is what it means to be a sharded system. Yeah. And do you see um, it going to like, is it the we need to have better patterns around it? Like, like literally documenting, like call it what you want, cloud patterns or something like that? I think that's I mean, patterns? I think that's part of it. I think there's also a degree to which we can build infrastructure that makes that easy. Yeah. Right. I think that there's one of the things I think about is like there's a really big gulf between the number of people who can... Uh, conceptually understand why you might need master election and the number of people who can actually implement master election. Right. Right. So like lots of people can get their head around the concept and be like, yeah, you know, I really need that thing. I really want to understand I, there's only one of me. And if I die, someone else takes over. Conceptually, I understand that, but I have no idea how to build it. Right. And we need to, and the same thing is true with like locks, right? Like it used to be, you'd have to use and understand x86 memory instructions in order to write a lock and now you just are like you know your language supplies locks right and more people get to use it as a result and more people write better programs as a result and and i think that that's what we're trying to that's what i'm interested in is like how do you get the patterns out there yes but how do you embody them into reusable artifacts mm. that that people can just say you know what this is a uh, replicated sharded system great Interesting. Do you see that it's like we're going to have a language that comes out of this this kind of early uh, days of like a language that is focused on the idea of it's not running on a single processor or multi, um, you know, because that's it. You had you had languages that were didn't even think about multiprocessor. And then you had like you have languages that start really considering that. Do you see a language coming out of this where you're programming for a completely distributed system? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I yeah. think it's I, I try not to re I try not to reinvent languages because I yeah. kind of feel like <laughs> we we've got a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like we've kind of tried that, and I don't know. I mean, and people have been I mean, people have been after sort of like Uber parallel languages for a really long time. Right. And they've been like, oh no, this one's going to be, and they they never work because right. <laughs> it's just too too hard. I mean, Go might be the one that's come the closest, um, but even that's not super super parallel. Um, and so uh, I don't know. I mean, I think that. What we're going to see definitely is, and I gave a talk about this at KubeCon a couple, uh, like six months ago. Um, what we're going to see is this notion that uh, you can compile to some of these distributed systems. So I think that we do need people to be able to write these things in a more programmatic way rather than like, oh, hey, I wrote my program and then I'm going to write a whole bunch of configuration objects. Right. Kelsey Hightower has been playing around with this idea of like self-describing code where like the program that you run actually is not only the program that's executed, but it's also the program that knows how to deploy itself into a Kubernetes cluster. Mm. Oh, um, that's, that's really cool. And, and I think that there's something like that that's going to happen. 
um, I don't know if it's a new language or just a new way of new libraries that for existing languages. Right. Um, but I think there's something there. I, and it's one of these things though, that I feel like it's right on the tip of my tongue. You know, it's like one of those things you can, you can kind of smell it, but you can't quite see it. And I'm just, so it's been, it's been something I've been thinking about a lot, but I haven't, I don't have any good answers yet. Well, you're asking the right questions, man, because it totally, everything that you're saying makes complete sense. Um, you know, I, I, I see exactly where that's that's coming now, but I can't say that it was something that I was truly envisioning. And so, uh, yeah, I definitely see what you mean by like, it's like, it's there. It's on the tip of your tongue. Like, it's like on the tip of my brain. Like, this is something that it's coming. I'm just not exactly sure what the form is uh, that it's going to take. I think the other piece that I have that, that's interesting uh, to think about is... Um... I think we've lost the I in IDE, right? Like, yeah, we had IDEs on the desktop and it was great because like the place where you're developing was the place where the program was running and you could like figure that out. And now everything's running in the cloud and we still have the development environment, but, but the integration is gone. And I think one of the things I've been working with the Visual Studio and especially the Visual Studio code folks around um, uh, is, is trying to figure out what that looks like. Like what is a truly cloud native development environment? And what, you know, how, what are the bindings and Mm. how do you, uh, like, what does tab complete mean? You know, can you tab complete your way through uh, all the storage buckets that you have? Right. Like there's stuff like that. Right. Yeah. I like that. I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've seen attempts at like integrating, uh, you know, your SQL database and stuff into, um, you know, uh, link uh, style uh, languages, whether it's link itself or, or um, things for other platforms. Um, so that's a really interesting concept of kind of taking that to now to even further to distributed systems. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I know every, everybody talks, uh, you know, if you go, if you Google you, you see the, the whole switch from, <laughs> it's, it's ironic. Uh, so you see the switch from Google to Microsoft, right? And um, there's a lot of articles about how, um, you know, Microsoft used to be this thing that, that, you know, if it came up in discussion amongst the developers, everyone was carrying shiny metal laptops and they, they laughed, but now Microsoft is actually um, pretty exciting, right? Like I, I haven't heard Microsoft's name t- taken in vain in a while. And uh, the only things I hear are, are interesting. People are excited. Um, so was that, was that kind of part of the reason why you wanted to go to Microsoft? I think I'm really excited to be, to be working on public cloud. Um, and, uh, and also the things I mentioned about the develop, the connectivity to the people who have really been working in developer productivity, like access to those resources is, uh, is huge. And I, I would also say I'm really impressed with the, with Satya and the direction that he's taken the company. And, um, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's very clear that the, the company is is very 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 focused on Azure, and that's a that's a pretty fantastic place to be, I guess. Um, uh, I will say I've also um, not all not everybody knows this about me, but um, I I've been in Seattle for forever, right? So uh, it's a, it's a pretty natural fit as well, uh, having lived in the Seattle area uh, for a long long time. Uh, it's a company that I that I grew up with basically. Yeah, yeah. So you think Microsoft, you think Seattle, so that totally makes sense um and um uh so i think one of the things that um you know i find really interesting as an as a, you know what you're saying is um you know that internal support is is great from an external view um i love 
kind of the direction that things are going and, and the, the way that Satya is uh, managing the company. So that's great to hear that, uh, you know, that's, that's what drew you um, there because I think it's you know, what the Azure team uh, as a whole is doing is really exciting, um, you know, whether you're in the Windows or the Linux uh, server-side space. So that's awesome. Yeah, I will say it's been really great. So it's it's been a great place to, to find myself. Uh, so uh, thanks uh, thanks to Brendan for joining us today. Uh, Brendan, where can we find or where can our listeners find uh, more about uh, what you're working on? Uh, well, there's a bunch of different places. Uh, obviously, GitHub uh, that's one place. Um, uh, Twitter, I'm up on Twitter from time to time, um, and. Uh, you know the Azure, the Azure Container Service, and Azure Resource Manager are both available up on uh, up on the main Azure documentation site. It shows a lot of the, the teams and the projects that I'm I'm owning. Uh, highlight as well um, to the recent acquisition of Deus uh, that we made. Um, so I'm really excited to have that team. It's a really strong team of of people. Um, so check out some of the projects that they've been working on as well. That's great. I'm I'm a big fan of uh, of Deus. Uh, have been for uh, a couple of years now, so um, I was excited to hear about that acquisition, and um, I'm excited for uh, you know that that pairing. So that that's great. Congratulations. Yeah, it's been really fantastic, and I, I was just out in Boulder a, a week or two ago, uh, bringing them on board, and it's just been even two weeks in. It's been uh, amazing to see the talent on that team. Uh, so it's great to it's great to have. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Brendan. Um, I can be found on Twitter, Brian's Mers, all one word. And I can be found on Twitter as well, Jackson, J-A-X-Z-I-N. But uh, before we go, let's leave our listeners with something to do. So this is where each week we'll leave you, the listener, with something to watch, read, play, or try out in some other way. Brian, what did you want to leave our listeners with? All right. So I'm a bit of a Lego nerd. Um and specifically, like I, I know I talked about space and model rockets and, and whatnot on the show before, um, but the Lego Ideas Project, which was like Kuso, um, however you pronounce that. Yeah, um, right. The, originally, so they're, the Lego Ideas Project itself is um, basically fan-submitted models. Uh, you get upvoted. You get whatever, 10,000 votes, and the official Lego team or whatever goes and rebuilds your model um so they have a saturn 5 rocket and it looks awesome it's coming out soon oh, yeah. um so i saw I'm, this i'm pretty excited because like i said I, I really like um space and, and legos and legos was one of those things that got me interested in space when i was young um i have a a shuttle um that i used to fly around i still have it in my office now so i'm, I'm pretty excited so are either you guys uh lego fans I, I have to say that we recently purchased two drawer sets from Ikea to organize the kids' Legos. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's, that's when <laughs> you was, know. You it had family reached of the fans. point where we were like, yeah, okay, we got we to gotta have some organization here. And, and they've stuck to it, too, which I'm very and, – and it, it's mostly for me, actually, because it helps me find them, find pieces for them real quickly. <laughs> yep, right, right. Because uh, we've awesome. been – and part of it is like probably half of it is all old classic space from when I was a kid. Yep. Uh, so I have all the old instructions, but of course it's all mixed up. So the kids were like, "Can you find a blue three dot uh, right. flat?" And I'm like, uh, <laughs> "Needle okay. in a haystack, right?" Yeah. yeah. So I got it. And you always get to that point where it's like you've spent 45 minutes building, and then there's like that one piece, 
and you're like, uh, you know what? I think like the cat ate that piece 20 years ago. <laughs> I don't think that's good. Like, uh, so yeah, no. And we just actually went to, to Legoland as well with the kids. So that was uh, that was a lot of fun as well. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Oh, that's really I think cool. if I could have another career, I think being a, a, a professional Lego builder might might be up there. Ah, yeah, there, there's a great article version. about uh, the master builder. I'll, I'll find it, put it in the show notes. Um, I guess it was a lawyer um, who, who basically his second life, he became a Lego master builder. And he talks about going through the the whatever trial or whatever you want to call it, interview process, contest, whatever it is. And uh, it, it's it's definitely a passion job because um, apparently they don't get paid well. <laughs> wow. But I mean... Who cares, right? Yeah, it's, I'm sure it's a fun job. I, I uh, Going back to the Saturn V, I saw this, uh, and I saw a picture of it, and I actually thought it was a picture of a Saturn V. Like, the the quality of the construction of the build uh, of the plans is really, really great. And um, uh, and the pricing that it has is, is pretty reasonable. I think it was like 150 or so for... Um, uh, what was it? Nine, uh, 1,969 pieces, right? So 1969. I thought that was also brilliant. Oh, like I, didn't, how, I didn't even know that. Somebody, right. How yeah. does somebody like, you know, make sure that there's like that exact number of pieces? That's uh, the idea of being a master builder is, you know, is just mind boggling to me at yeah. that level. So the tension to detail is just incredible. It's good so. stuff. Yeah. I, I have a handful of the, uh, the, the ideas kits. Um, I think, the only Legos I've bought in the past few years are are these, and they're they're uh, as far as building goes. Like if you're if you're into it, they're they're way more interesting to build than say you know the the typical um, kid targeted mm. set. Yep. Well, very cool. So uh, I am I am going to check that out, and if I probably will end up buying it. Don't tell my <laughs> wife. Um, so uh, Brendan, uh, what did you bring uh, our listeners today? So uh, I was going to encourage, apropos of the uh, Deus acquisition, I was going to encourage everybody to check out Helm, uh, helm.sh. If you haven't before, it's a package manager for Kubernetes. Um, it's basically, if you think of like apt, apt or yum or any of these package managers, it's that, but for distributed systems. So you want a replicated Mongo or you want a, you know, some other kind of cloud system, you can point this tool at your your Kubernetes cluster and it will deploy it for you and you have a running system uh, coming out the other side. So it's pretty cool. allows you to really get jump started without necessarily learning all the details, just knowing that you need a particular piece of software. Um, I think that's a that's a great thing for people to have to bootstrap their experience. That is that is awesome. And it's such a if you are familiar with the package managers, it's you know, it just really makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, it's an easy analogy to translate uh, into the into the Kubernetes space. So that's awesome. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen this, um, this project. So that's that's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, and I will say it's all uh, crowdsourced as well, right? Like all the templates are coming from from people. They're all out on GitHub and people are working on it. there's a real community that's coming around on, on it. So it's very cool to see. Nice. Very cool. I've gotten into 3D printing my like some Lego pieces, by the way. You could find uh, uh, Yeah. I have um I have an obsession with um the Lego monorail sets from what yeah. I guess the early nineties. And I've been trying to print pieces. Uh I I haven't tried it in a while, but um I designed like a a, a programmatic sized piece. Um and, and then it's just it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We found some melted blocks that were pretty cool. It's like a classic four dot that's melted. Nice. So like you can 
clips up onto the top, but it looks like it's kind of melting onto the ground. Oh, oh, cool, cool. So you can build it into your into yeah your you can, like, other parts. Yeah, or it makes a good little stand for minifigs. Like you can get them running or whatever. Because yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, nice. Anyway, I'll check that out. I've been enjoying my three D printer. That's been that was like my my birthday splurge. Cool. Which uh, printer did you get? Uh, it's one of the XYZ ones. It's yeah. Very, very, yeah. Easy to use. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I have a, um, uh, one of the ones based on like the I3, uh, form of the, the precious. So it's like, um, it's from like minor mono price. It was a pretty reasonable price thing. Yeah. And, uh, I've been playing with that for a while. And Brian, you have one. Too, I do. Right? I have an old wooden, uh, MakerBot. Cool. Cool. Well, uh, you know, that's, um, I think we're going to call that. That's what I'm going to talk about. <laughs> there you go. We'll do 3D printing and uh, try out uh, 3D printing. Actually, one of the things that I'm, um, the next thing that I'm going to uh, print out is uh, the, the all the rage for the kids these days is the uh, is the fidget spinners. Have you seen these? Oh, so, yeah, yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, yeah. you, you know, embed a couple like roller skate ball bearings into like a three, um, uh, three-pronged uh, thing that you can just fidget with. And so uh, I have promised my kids we'll print out a, a fidget spinner and go buy some uh, roller skate uh, bearings uh, from the, the local hardware store. So, yeah, so that's I what tr- I'm going to do. I tried to make one out of wood the other day, uh, about a month ago. I tried to, it was like a three-pronged, just just like the 3D printed ones, but I had a block of wood. I cut it out, I drilled, drilled the whole bearing size, which was amazing that I measured it right. Popped a bearing in there, and it, it didn't work for beans because the wood wasn't heavy enough to spin. So if you've seen any of these 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 spinning things, they have weights on the edge. Right. So so that'll help with the, the feel. So I failed, but it was interesting. So good luck. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode. Check us out on our website, codemonkey.fm. Send us feedback at feedback at codemonkey.fm. We have uh, a subreddit, a Slack. We're found everywhere on the, the internet. All the links are on the site. Check us out. Yeah, uh, re- the, the links are on the site in the upper right-hand corner. I will call out. Um, we've had some people join uh, the, uh, the our Slack uh, recently. So it's uh, slack.codemonkey.fm is how you can get an invite. So uh, I encourage listeners to uh, go ahead and uh, get yourself an invite and join us on our, our Slack. Um and uh, if you like the episode, please do us a favor and review us on your favorite podcast finder of choice, be it uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, uh, or another one. Uh, it would be really uh, help us get heard by more people. So uh, thanks to Brendan, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>